So this is going to be a, a jam-packed show. Uh, Tim has these trainers behind us. So if you guys are listening to us on podcasts, you should go check out the uh, the video. Uh, some of the trainers that, that Tim has put together, maybe, maybe we'll talk about the trainers um, in a little bit. He also has the pirated... Uh, TW Controls logo shirt on. Uh, we, we got on and Vlad's like, that doesn't look like the TW Controls shirt. And Tim said, I'm, I'm wearing the pirated one, not not, not the alternate. So, so what's funny is Amber did actually make it go ahead and say hi, Amber, since you're right here. Hi. <laughs> and she absolutely objected to this shirt. So. <laughs> I have the old one. I have one. It has our logo on the back, but this yes. one has a big QR code on the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. We have, if somebody wants to try to scan it, I don't know if you can. Yeah, there we go. We have a big QR I code. I think it would work. Oh. I think it would work. I, I, I think it should work. And, and I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for jumping on, Amber. I, I, I felt kind of weird only to have Tim on the show um, and, and not to have both of you on the show. So, uh, but no, so so th that's very, yeah, th that's that's very exciting. Um, Vlad, I, I feel like we, we've let it. Just holler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she is here to correct me and make sure I don't say anything wrong or go on a rant pretty much. All. Okay. She is in kicking distance. So, <laughs> so, so uh, while we have Amber, th there was talk of a Willborn reality television show where well, you and Tim and, and the kids all get together and it's kind of like the combination uh, work, work life. Allie had suggested that earlier today. Can we get your immediate reactions on that? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I don't, I don't see how a camera crew could follow us in a day. Oh no, we would just selfie the whole thing. Oh, we could selfie the whole thing, but it's like, uh, you know, I haven't seen Tim since. Have I seen you today? Six forty-five this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, some days we're together. So yeah, it's like, all right, today we got to divide and conquer. It ain't going well. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, that would be I funny. <laughs> Maybe a mini series uh, towards the end of the year, yeah. uh, but no, I, I think that's great. So, uh, so Vlad, let's go ahead and uh, jump in. Um, everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy down here, uh, or I guess this guy up here, Vlad. We move the pictures around this time. This is episode forty-four. We have the hardest working uh, man in automation. The, the person with by far the best YouTube internet trolls, uh, Tim Wilborn. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for Thanks finding for some time. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, I, I think that if everyone, if, if anyone doesn't know you, they should absolutely like go back and, and follow you along on the TW Controls uh, YouTube. But can you give everyone a, a brief background of how you've wound up sitting here talking to us um at five o'clock on a wednesday evening well yeah um so yeah i can give you the long version or the short version so just tell me when i need to speed it up but i actually grew up in this industry i i uh my dad had a machine shop and i started working there when i was 12 and so really i started off i mean just cutting material for guys that's the thing just cut 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 and over time i learned you know to do some machining and do some fabrication and, and I always joked that I wasn't a real good machinist, and that's how I got into this. But really, you, um, my dad was a, was a genius mechanically. And, you know, if you want, you know, as a kid, you always want to figure out, okay, I, you know, I got to get out there where I can actually be relevant. I can't stay in a shadow the whole time. And so we um, were starting to do turnkey equipment. 
you know, before, you know, you'd have a mechanical mm -hmm. company and you'd have an electrical company and you'd have a controls company. And when mm -hmm. it didn't go right, everybody's pointing fingers at each other. And so, you know, customers are like, hey, I just want to buy this thing. It needs to work. It needs to do this. And can you do it? And so we, we, had, a, we had a need for controls. And so I, I started um, trying it and found that, you know, I, I liked it. And so that's kind of what got me into here. Um, from there, I, I actually went to work at a, at a uh, local company that had been, been in business forever. I don't know how long forever was, but the plant that they, I was working in was built in 1968. I went as a um, technician. And I always say that that's where I got my master's in the College of Hard Knocks because I, by far, I learned more there than I probably have learned in my entire life. Uh, they had they had they had equipment from 1968. Actually, it was probably brought from the older plant. So they had turn of the century equipment. Mm -hmm. Actually, they had one crane that had knob and tube wiring on it. So I mean, that tells you how old it was. And um, and then they had newer equipment as they had bought pieces of equipment. But there had been no real standardization. So you know, there was Allen Bradley in there. There was Siemens in there. Mitsubishi, Automation Direct, Omron. I mean, you name it, it was in there. And so that's where really. I gained a lot of, you know, experience on, you know, not, not only the different PLCs, but also, okay, what do we got to do to make it where we can work on it? And that's, that's kind of, you know, what, you know, the, I guess my mentality comes from is from that side of it, not from the side of, hey, how can we design the coolest piece of equipment? But uh, after that, Amber and I decided it would be a great idea well, while she was eight months pre pregnant with Michael to both quit our jobs and start this company. And so <laughs> here we are. What was the, I guess the, you know, that last comment, the trigger point, I guess, for you, was it, uh, you know, to do something on your own, to maybe do something differently? What was the, the thought at the time? I'm really curious. Well, um, I have, I have a podcast on that, Vlad, because uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we want to keep this fairly PG, but uh, <laughs> pretty much I was um I was in, I was part of a buyout and I always say there's winners and losers in buyouts. And I was one of the losers. And so really, uh, you know, and, and, you know, going back to the haters, I've learned to deal with them better now, but, you know, I have super soft skin and, you know, and everybody was jockeying to get to the top. And I found out that just wasn't for me. I didn't, I didn't have it in me. And I, so, so we thought we knew how to run a company and we quickly learned, no, we didn't know how to run a company. We just knew how to automate equipment at that point. Gotcha. And Tim, if we want to jump really briefly to today, I know that Dave gave you a pretty good introduction, but you, in addition to running a YouTube channel, you also provide trainers, right, for various platforms. You got PLCs, you got HMIs, VFDs, again, of various ranges as well. So you offer some MicroLogics, you offer some com Compact Logics, Control Logics. I would, uh, I see one behind you. Uh, yeah. But you also have your own tools, right? So I've got two of them. In the back here, I don't know how well you can see them, but the Absolutely. IP Explorer. <laughs> yeah, so like you've designed that as well, I guess. So you, you're kind of in a lot of different areas in industrial automation. You're also teaching. That's something, you know, we can also talk about. You're teaching high school students now, but you also teach, uh, you know, yeah. PLC programmers, technicians, engineers that are looking to, um, I don't know if you want to expand on that a little bit, either get into automation or upskill uh, their existing knowledge. Uh, could you give us, I guess, maybe a, a better idea of all the current things you're involved in? 
As now, sure Willis control panels. Like yeah. we'll, we'll just throw panels. in that yes, Tim yes, also yes. builds control panels yes. in his spare time, yeah. and, and then, then now I'll let uh, let him go for it. You know, honestly, you know, we can say it's all over the place, but most of it is still geared towards technicians and troubleshooting. So mm-hmm. you know, these trainers, there's a lot prettier trainers that are pre-wired and you can learn all types of cool things about programming and how to do whatever the latest acronyms are. But you know, the part of these trainers, is, Hey, I want you to, I want you to make sure you know how to wire up how, how in the world that sensor actually works. You know, those practical things that, you know, when you run into a machine that's not working, okay, I see it in the program. It's not working. Can you trace it and find out what's not working? And so actually our tools have come from that. Um, our first tool was was the predecessor of the SIM IPE, the Ethernet Explorer, mm-hmm. and we saw we saw the need for that mainly for items like Point IO and Flex IO mm-hmm. because they don't you know you do have the dip switches nobody uses them they were setting them with boot P and then you're like okay I need to change this and the the computer guy's home I can't do anything. And so really the original one, you plugged it in, it could read an IP address and then you'd plug it in the new one and there was a button there to write the IP address and that's all it was. But it was really for that same thing, you know, how can, how can we make, you know, working on a machine easier? So then we, then we had our analog simulator um, and same deal. We actually needed a way to test analog signals and we're like, okay, how can we make something to test them? And so we had a circuit board and, you know, really you could plug it in and I can't remember if it had terminals now or if it had buttons, but anyway, it, it had a way to simulate just certain signals. And I'm looking at that one day, I'm like, man, this is really cool. If, if I could figure out how to put this in a plastic enclosure, you know, this would be good for somebody. And so that's, so there again, they're, they're most, most of our stuff is revolves around, okay, your machine's not working. How can we help you, you know, get your machine running quickly? <laughs> you know, so to keep the yeah. ball solved. And I mean, it solves an actual problem, right? Because again, like the Internet Explorer, like I guess the IP Explorer application that you mentioned, that happens in the field, right? Because if you were to have to reassign an IP address to a new device that went down for whatever reason, you'd have to get a licensed laptop with all the software, go through, I would say, at the very least, half an hour worth of trouble. Um, again, because I would have to go b- back into the manual, double check how everything works, get boot P yeah. on there, make sure it connects, set the IP address correctly versus you got a tool that, again, you don't need any of these licenses. You can just plug and play it between the two devices and, sh- and it should be good to go. And same like you can set an IP address to whatever you punch in on the, the new device. I don't know if that was a feature of the of the first version that you were mentioning, but there's a lot more to it uh, than that. And I think if you've worked in controls for even a year, you realize how much of a, of a problem it is. So it's definitely appreciated by many engineers. So, but no, that's, uh, that's, that's really cool. Any other uh, things that you're uh, working on? Uh, I know that uh, Dave mentioned panels. So you have like a full uh, panel shop as well. So you provide like a design assembly service. Is that correct? Yeah, and Amber does have to remind me occasionally. Yeah, we do have to make money. So yeah, our <laughs> primary way of um, funding our company is uh, yeah, we build UL five hundred eight A control panels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I usually forget to mention that part. That, that's why I wanted to be sure to mention it, Tim. But yes, uh, so yeah, we um we we build a lot of standard panels. We build a lot of panels, you know, for customers. They're like, hey, we need to figure out how to do this, and then we build some off of 
in a people's drawings. Um, just just depends. Yeah. But no, Tim, I think uh, it's a very interesting, you know, perspective and certainly a lot of things that are tied into industrial automation. So I couldn't think of a better person to talk to other than you and especially in the area of, you know, not only, as you said, like designing a cool machine that has all the bells and whistles of today's newest technologies, but also looking back at how control systems have evolved and having a conversation around maintaining and keeping these machines running once they hit the floor because I think we all know that the design portion sort of ends once the machine is deployed and obviously there's some tweaks and there's some little caveats to that statement but what's even more important is being able to run that machine for again in manufacturing it could be 20 years but in some cases it's 50 plus um, in many instances but what are your thoughts on you know, how the control systems have evolved or maybe adapted to being better uh, suitable for that task or have they at all? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, and here's where, you know, I, I don't fully agree with some, what, you know, some people say is, you know, I don't think we're having an industrial revolution. I believe we're having, an, I mean, don't believe we're having a revolution. I believe we're having just evolution. And there is a difference in that is, you know, over time, yeah, the, the control systems have changed. But honestly, looking at what was built when I got into this compared to what's built today, there's, I mean, it's a crooked road, but I can still see the path, you know, from what was there to there to here. You know, for me, you know, and here's where um, a guy I know, he, he's a destruction specialist. You know, he walks into a brand new building and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't look at the beautiful marble floors. He doesn't look at, you know, the, the floor layout or the functionality. The first thing he looks at is what is it going to take to tear this building down and peel the metal out of it, recycle it and seed the seed, seed this field. And this is the way he works. And when I look at a brand new machine, I, I don't, you know, I really don't see those bells and whistles. I'm looking at it. It's like, okay. Where, where are the points that, you know, this thing's going to fail? Where, where are the points that we've got to work on? And the one that I think is missing from a lot of what we'll call the revolution is um, what training do people need in order to maintain this machine for the next, well, really 20 years, but let's at least get them through, you know, the next five to 10 years. And so that's what I see. I think, you know, as far as a, let's say, success or failure point is that part. You know, as far as whether it, whether we call it a buzz term or whether we call it a revolution, evolution or whatever, whether it's successful or not, you know, that's what it needs so that it'll be adopted. That's yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I guess I, you know, and me and Dave talked about this a couple of times, but training is certainly, I would say, missed in many of those occasions. But I'm curious if you think it's because, you know, maybe of project management or it gets like rushed a little bit or is it because you know the complexity of the tools is going up i think there's uh or we're seeing or at least i'm seeing higher learning curves you know to certain hardware software because it is offering a lot more features so now you know instead of pressing let's say push buttons on a panel as you get older the learning curve just gets tougher you're just getting older I guess I guess that is that is part of the reason. But you know, I I mean, yeah, but there's just so much, you know, I feel in today's controls. Like what are your thoughts about 
again, now as a controls engineer or tech, you have to learn networks. You have to at least a, a very little bit know cybersecurity. You need to know, again, your traditional like PLC programming, debugging, but you're almost uh, a jack of all trades and mm -hmm. sort of like a master of none at some point because there's just so much, you know, you're learning every day. What are your thoughts about, you know, how technology well, yeah. has changed that? You know, I fully agree with that. You know, that's one thing about technology. It doesn't grow like double every, I mean, it's exponential. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's, there's no linear technology. That thing's a hard curve going up. And, you know, going back to, you know, preparation, I, I don't think that training and that part is even on, is even a line item on a new piece of equipment. You know, I think, you know, they're looking at the dollar signs. They're like, yeah, we, we're going to get this much return on this piece of equipment. It, you know, the dollars and cents works. Let's, let's do it. You know, and I, I think it gets purchased, dropped in the plant, and then it breaks for the first time. And they realize, oh, my goodness, what, what type of technicians do we have? They can't even work on this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, you know, it's got to be on the front end is where we've got to start doing that. I mean, if it's, you know, if you're putting it at a plant that has no technology like this, then you've got to train them on it. You can't be like, well, they, you know, the market wasn't ready for it. Or this plant, you know, they, they were, um, they didn't like change. It's not that the people don't like change. You know, I, I run up against the machine and I can't fix it. Yeah. I hate that machine. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's human nature there. Yeah. And, and I would add to that, you know, it's unfortunate that we, point the fingers at the people, you know, on the front line when the machine breaks. But uh, I think it's important to kind of foresee a lot of those things. As you said, like the machine gets dropped in and it, it is going to run for the first, at the very least, couple of months as expected, right? Usually new yeah. machinery is well lubricated. It's been tested. It's been, you know, it's been through a VAT, FAT. So it's going to be fine. But once it gets yeah. into first couple of troubles, you're going to see if, Number one, I guess, well, the training that can, we'll put that aside, but the documentation from the vendors, like that's one thing too. Uh, I personally find that there's a lack of well-documented, I feel, materials, right? And I had this conversation with a number of vendors because, again, there's a lot of really cool technologies that are coming out and they might have it documented how to do it from like their perspective. But what about like once you get, let's say, like the data connection, to a third-party vendor from your device, well, it doesn't have a lot of like documentation on how to get it connected. So that's uh, yeah. that's something I found. I don't know if you had like similar experiences, but um, absolutely. I mean, that is it. You know, and that's that's the thing. It's 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 very complex. You know, there's so many different angles, and and as the machines become more complex, you do have those multiple points. But you know, I look at manuals, and then okay. Yeah, we got wiring diagrams and we have a spare parts list and then we have an operator manual, how to run the thing. Mm -hmm. I never see what to do when it's broke. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. Yeah. you know, you'll see you know, when, it, when it's broke, look at the HMI and it'll tell you why. Well, no, that's, that's, just, <laughs> that, I still consider that part of standard operating procedure. I mean, when the machine isn't doing what it's supposed to do, what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, that's, that's where we've got to work on. So I, I, like, I like this train of thought, Tim. So I like evolution 4.0 and I like the, the need of us as an industry to have to evolve so that when we do a handoff, either from a, a new build into a facility or from first shift to third shift, uh, you know, a new employee coming in, we have, I think that everyone in this conversation, and I would hope everyone listening to us 
agrees that we have to do a better job training and preparing everyone. But I think the question becomes, where is that, where's that push going to come from? Is it going to push? Is it going to come from the facilities who can't get their machines to run at, you know, at spec at quota, you know, three months after they get a new machine handoff? Is it going to come from, you know, OEMs saying that, Hey, we need to put a line item on this $5 million machine for a hundred thousand dollars of training. Is it going to come from, you know, a lot of these R and D and other tax credits that I've seen some people successfully you've used to get the, uh, get more training into their facilities. Where do you think, I guess, where do you think it is going to come from and where do you think it should come from? (laughs) I was hoping you would ask that. Where should it come from? I'll answer that one first. It should come from the people selling the equipment. Yep. I mean, and if you, if you want your reputation to be that you are the best equipment maker, then that absolutely, it should be, it should not be an option. It's not a line line item option. In other words, you purchase equipment from us, you must do this training. If you won't do this training, I'm not selling you the equipment. And until we get there, there are always going to be these friction points. Now, where does it come from? It does come from the company that unfortunately has already had costly downtime. I mean, flat out, that's number one. I mean, when I get a call from somebody, there's never somebody that says, I want to come to your training. Our equipment works perfectly. It's always... With you know, we 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 are losing so much money mm-hmm. off of downtime, and we're having to call people in, and nobody's mm-hmm. available, and so our equipment's sitting here doing nothing. Yep, we need training, and that's not the position that we should be in with this. I mean, we we should we should be training them long before they have a problem. Absolutely, absolutely. I I would I would agree with both of those statements. I mean. I think it also needs to come from uh, manufacturing from, from facilities, not allowing sign off of a, a piece of equipment until we've explained it at, at a technician level. Well, one of my biggest gripes of not having a line item for training is the fact that if we have to check a box that says training, and for anyone listening, I am using air quotes, you know, if it says training, it's the engineer is driving to site and he's hung over from the night before, and he's putting technical PowerPoint slides. You know, he's sitting in the passenger seat typing technical PowerPoint slides through the bleary eyes. And like, this, this is real. Like, I, I can tell you this has happened. I've been the one driving. Uh, but like, like typing like technical PowerPoint slides. And then he gets up there with like half of the caffeine that he needs in order to, to physically stand up. And he talks in engineering speak in very technical speak about how a, the, the, the machine should theoretically work. Yeah. And that, in my experience, is in no way, shape, or form close to where the technicians are. And, and they're just- either get that or you get the sales pitch, which yep. is probably the hungover engineer is probably better than getting the sales pitch. At least maybe he showed yes. them a little something. Yep. But they don't need either of them. It, it, this is something- that needs to be geared specifically for technicians and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going back to your checklist. Um, the other one is, have you, has the company even thought about how much, how many technicians it's going to take to support this equipment? Because, okay, you know, you got a bunch of hardwired equipment that's ran great and you're upgrading and yet you got 10 maintenance guys that, you know, maintain a hundred pieces of equipment. Well, how many is it going to take to keep this one new state of the art thing running? Because chances are it is more. Absolutely. 
And so as as we talk about, you know, evolution of industry 4.0, as we talk about evolution of control systems, it, do, you, or do you think one of the largest kind of evolutions we're going to make as an industry is going to be, you know, to include the how do we actually do this? How do we actually and how do we make the machine run well? And then how do we fix the machine after it's undoubtedly broken at some point? Well, I think that, uh, you know, still the, the most important asset you have is your people. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's talked about nearly enough in any of what, I, at least what I see about this. And I so the, the greatest evolution you could have, hopefully this is what you mean, is that, yeah, we include both, you know, the people who are running the equipment, the technicians, and you know, the people that are going to have to deal with this equipment for the next 20 years mm -hmm. or in the process. Yeah, and I think there, there's ways to simplify the learning curve for the people, right? And so we got, uh, I guess on a side note, we got a question from Benson. He's asking if you should be paying for some of this training, right? And I think the answer, as many things, like it depends, right? But in my mind, I think that OEMs will change their view on how they've been at least I would say gatekeeping some of this information. So one example, you know, is a certain knowledge base by one of the companies that requires a fairly substantial investment. And a lot of these facilities just don't give access to that knowledge base to all of their people, right? And so it becomes difficult. Again, I've been in these binds and on a night shift or, you know, be, being called into a plant and you're trying to find like, what's the solution to my problem? And uh, unfortunately, you know, the company just doesn't have the funds to pay for a knowledge base that in my opinion should be free, right? There should be a documented list of resources in um, to solving some of these problems. Dave, what are your, so, so what's your comment before, on that? But before we let Tim, uh, before we let Tim go on that, I'm, I'm going to jump in front of the bullet okay. and say that we all like whether we pay for it up front or inclusive as the service or we pay a monthly or annual subscription. We are paying for the information regardless sure. of how it comes. There yes. are some companies that have fantastic technical troubleshooting tips and fantastic you know phone support that will stay on the line for six or eight or 20 hours and work through the problem as long as any of their three or four tiers of support have the ability to work you through the problem and there are other ones that maybe you don't pay as much for that don't have the ability to, to build as much technical support um and so you generally pay for it one way or the other there are certainly some companies that we can call it have a more legacy thought process of, hey, we have to pay for, you know, the, these services um, every year or every month. And there are other companies that, you know, have it included as part of your buying, you know, our products and you're going to continue to support us. So we're going to include it in that. So I'm going to say that you're going to pay for it one way or the other. Um, sure. Yeah, you're going to pay for it one, one way or the other. And now I'll, I'll, I'll let Tim share uh, share some of his thoughts. Hopefully well, I've taken a bit of the edge off. Well, no, there's no edge there, you know, because there, there there's two different diff, definite viewpoints. And honestly, I've been at both of them. You know, earlier on in my career, I really thought, yeah, support should be free. You buy, you buy the product, the support should be free. And, you know, if they're not going to give me free support, then I'm going to find – I'm going to only use companies that get free support. But – 
sometimes you got to remember you get what you pay for and free support is not an excuse for crappy support. And that's what I see happening a lot. Mm. And when you start doing, and here's the thing, when you start doing the math of a machine being down, paying for support, if it can get you that machine running even 15 minutes faster, a lot of times can can pay for it. And uh I've got, I've got a couple plants that, you know, it's $400 a minute downtime. It, it doesn't take long. Nope. If you can call somebody right away that, you know, that it's, it's worth the money. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, there are some that are doing good at free support. There are some that are doing okay at free support. And I think th- there are some that are using the free support as a reason not to do what they should do. Uh, so it, it's very manufacturer dependent. You know, and, you know, the one thing I would say is, you know, don't trust the Internet as far as support costs. And that's what I preach to people all the time, whether it be software costs or support costs. Chances are support does not cost nearly as much as you think it does. And, you know, because I hear people, oh, well, you know, it's thousands of dollars. I'm like, well, let's go look that up. And you look it up and it's like 150 bucks. I'm like, really? (laughs) You're going to cry over 150 bucks. I mean, yeah, and don't get me wrong, 150 bucks is a lot of money, but to a company, that should not be a lot of money as far as getting their equipment running as fast as possible. Or, you know, even having somebody sitting here on a trainer or something and they have a problem, well, you know, that you can still call support them. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's a small cost. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. I guess, you know, to come back to your original point about, you know, OEMs pricing in the training, I think it's also be, it's good to be aware of all the costs of running even equipment, right? Like being aware of the costs mm-hmm. of what they're going to be versus, you know, here's a piece of hardware that you can buy. And then here are a bunch of different add-ons that may only come into play later, which then becomes kind of a gray area. And I think, again, for me, having the perspective on the, you know, engineering slash technician side, it's that it's, it becomes a barrier at the point where you do run into those problems because you can't always make that, let's say, budgetary decision to, let's say, even purchase that package. And again, there's different caveats to that, but it becomes difficult for the person at the line level to to make that call when it should have been made at the very beginning and then given the the people the right tools to do their job at the end of the day. That's kind of my yeah. uh, my thought there. I agree. Yeah. But, Absolutely. But, yeah, and I was going to say, like, there, there could be many routes to that. I think, like, also companies and users should document some of these troubleshooting approaches well too, right? Because once you solve a problem... Hopefully, again, you document that so that the next person that has the exact same issue a month later is able to kind of retrieve the documentation. But yeah, yeah that's um, one of my one of my customers. They they actually do that with every incident that there is. I call it an incident, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, machines broke. The um, the operator has to enter a work request. You know, maintenance comes, and part of their work after is to describe exactly how they fixed it. Pictures, mm-hmm. whatever you need, and those—that's gold. That mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'll, I'll even—I'll even admit it with all this behind me. That's—that's that's more golden than any trainer you got. Absolutely, you know, because chances are you're going to have a similar issue. It may be a year down the road or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've been over there, and it's like, man, I, I feel like we've had this before. And you go in there and you search, and it's like, okay, yep, we had to do this, and we had to do this. Okay, you know, and saves hours. 
Absolutely. And, and I would point out beyond, you know, the, the Tim, the, the TW controls YouTube channel that has a lot of good uh, support and information and the Solus PLC channel that has a lot of good information. I, I certainly preach to all my customers to, to build, I generally call them knowledge bases, whether you build them in a searchable Word doc or a SharePoint or any of the tens of hundreds of different, to, you know, industrial grade tools that are available. I think that having that, as, as Tim said, is, is absolute gold. I would also like to, to kind of shout out that there are a bunch of manufacturers um, who are doing really good video and other series that they're, they're posting online. And, and I'll shout out Opto22 and Benson and those guys, mostly because they're always in my feed. Um, I think they've done dozens, at least dozens of OPC and MQTT and other videos like that. Uh, they do a lot of node red. And so I know a lot of people who've kind of gone to hack systems like that together for the first time, mostly to kind of try to figure out how they work. And so a lot of that stuff is gold. And so it's really good to see more companies willing to invest in, you know, public facing how-tos and beginner tutorials. I think, and one of the topics we'll talk about is, you know, how do we get the next generation into this? I think that that is exceptionally valuable. One, every software engineer is going to go on Stack Overflow and should be able to ask the question and have 25 people have already solved it and documented it. So, for, for me, especially in the last five to seven years, it, it's felt very good to see more people doing better documentation. I think Vlad once commented how he solved a problem, documented it on a forum, and then Googled to try to solve the exact same problem a year and a half later, and it was him answering it that, uh, that saved him some number of hours. Yep. <laughs> it happens probably more often than we care to admit that we apparently forget things. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, one, I one thing on the companies um, before we move on from that is if you are a company out there and you are not making videos and you're like, I don't think I can make the professional video or whatever, just hit the record button. Yep. And trust me, it, it, it'll be fine and you'll get better and it'll help us a whole lot. I mean, we can hear, you know, I'm searching for something, even, even if, you know, I'm searching on YouTube, I see the company video, I'm, I'm going to click it because I know they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love that. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about these trainers, talk a little bit more about the training that you're doing, kind of both helping to get, you know, this generation of technicians, if you will, kind of up to speed in your area and what you're doing to kind of help bring the next generation in. So can you give us a little bit of a rundown of this amazing training facility that you and Amber and the crew have built? You know, basically in the midst of COVID, I just see Tim post, hey, we moved out of the shed in the backyard to this beautiful new facility. We're doing in-person training. Uh, so can you give everyone a little bit of a, how did this happen? You know, how did you come to this conclusion and why is now the time? Well, so, so we were doing training before that, but we were, um, we were a traveling circus. That's what I like to say. And so, yeah, I think it was like March, maybe 12th. <laughs> yeah, we, signed, we decided to sign the lease on this place and uh, start some in-person training. That would be of uh, 2020. Yes. <laughs> um, but our, you know, our training is, is all about troubleshooting and because mm -hmm. that's where I see the deficiency and really we, we can keep building panels. That's great. Um, but we can't support even our base of panels hardly out there anymore. Cause you know, they are getting age on them now. See, mm -hmm. you, you get calls, Hey, 
how do I do this? Hey, how do I do this? So there is a huge need for that part. And, and that will, um, that'll actually help this evolution. If your technicians know this stuff, then, you know, when you're making a decision, it's not going to be like, nah, my technicians can't handle that. No, they'll be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're ready for it. It just removes that friction point. So, uh, but our training is all about that. So we do crash, kind of a crash course in programming, uh, discrete wiring, analog wiring, all those things. But by, by Tuesday, we're done with that and we start troubleshooting. And so the rest of the week is here, this thing's broke, go fix it. And so it is just various different ways of doing that to help build troubleshooting skills that you can use back at the plant. That's it in a really quick, <laughs> the quick way. <laughs> we, no, that, that, actually, actually, I'm going to post, I think I'm going to post tomorrow. My machine needs a name because, yeah, everybody calls it the the the, 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 the machine of terror. So it needs a better <laughs> name. We have one machine and, yeah, it has it has 30 switches on the side of it. I think combination-wise, it's got over 100 different scenarios that, you know, you can break it. And I, <laughs> so, so that's that's really the big tool we use for it. No, I, I like that. So I I learned troubleshooting in a room full of machines, full of uh, full, full of terror, quite literally, where there are just hundreds of thousands of combinations of of things that can and will break. And when you can't leave until you figured out what's wrong and explain why it's wrong, uh, you, you you get pretty good pretty quick, right? And um, yeah, and, and so uh, I I think that that is the, the best way to learn, short of having a bunch of people breathing down your neck at a facility while the machine is broken and it's 400 minutes, $400 a minute of downtime. Nice. So I think that that, that's, that's very, that's very interesting. So, yeah, you know, and I guess my, my early, um, I guess my early lesson in this, that is, is the major part of the philosophy of this class. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was working at the, the local company as a technician and I couldn't fix this machine. And so I went to the head of maintenance and I said, we're going to have to call somebody in. I don't, I don't know how to fix this. And he's like, well, you're all we got. Go back, go out there and stay there until you get it fixed. Yep. You know, and I think eight hours later, you know, I figured it out, but it was the best lesson mm -hmm. for me. You know, one that, okay, Hey, you're going to have to dig a little deeper. You got the knowledge in there and I see if we can dig a little more of it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to talk about, uh, kind of bringing the next generation onto this before we ask Tim to predict the future. But first, Vlad's got to play his funny laugh track, and we have to thank Opto22 for sponsoring this. Good, Vlad? There Perfect. we go, Dave. So, uh, again, we want to thank Opto22 for sponsoring the Evolution of Control Systems theme. So, for over 45 years, OEMs, machine builders, systems integrators, and IT and operational personnel have looked to Opto22 for innovative automation products at an affordable price. Heard of OPC? Opto22 co-wrote the spec as one of the founding members, Ethernet IO. That was them also. How about PACs? Them again. Today, Opta 22 designs and manufactures industrial control and IIoT products like the Groove Epic and Groove Rio that bridge the gap between IT and OT following a core philosophy of open standards-based technology. Uh, and I will add uh, that they do pretty much all of this, if not all of this, at their like half a million square foot facility in, in Southern California, which is one 
an amazingly amazing sized facility. And two, I really don't know how they bought that much space in Southern California. Um, the, 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 and so uh, we want to thank Opto22 for sponsoring this theme and all of their support. Um, I will also recommend going to listen to Benson's previous episode, episode 43, if you guys have not. We kind of talk about the, the entirety of the evolution of the control systems and Opto22 and they were like always at the, the very bleeding edge. Uh, and so, so we talk about a lot about that. Benson talks a little bit about some, uh, some mistakes that had been made along the, uh, along the way. And so that, that is a very good episode. And I would absolutely suggest you guys take a look at that. I will also point out that we are giving away a Groove Rio. Uh, so go ahead and check out manufacturinghub.live. Vlad will go ahead and drop that in the comments. And you guys can go ahead to, uh, to register to win it's a really fun machine. Uh, Vlad will go ahead and point it out on the screen for everyone. He's got one of them blinking above his head. And if you're looking to get in to automation, looking to get into control systems, want something really fun to play around with, and maybe one day have a wall half as awesome as Vlad or or half as cool as all the trainers behind Tim at the moment, uh, be sure to uh, before be sure to get in to that. Um, so no, perfect, Tim. So let, let's talk about bringing in uh, bringing in the next generation. And so typically towards the end, we ask for some career advice, um, but I want to move that a bit forward. So you are, do, you're working with some high schoolers. Can you give us a little bit of a sneak preview um, as to the work that you've been doing th this week uh, with your high school group and how that's going? Uh, so the goal of this, uh, you know, we, we always talked that, okay, there's, you know, two, two things we're hearing right now is one crushing college debt, and lack of skilled workers. And mm -hmm. so if we can get those two to merge or get them into our industry, then, I mean, it, it's going to be just so beneficial mm -hmm. for one, for them, you know, because they're going to have a job, but also for us, because, you know, we're, we're going to have some, some skill, very skilled mm -hmm. workers, you know, but the issue is we're not, we're not connecting with them nearly early enough. We're, you know, we're, realistically, they're not seeing it until maybe, what, two years into college, if you're lucky, I don't even know. Uh, but so my goal with this program, it, I'm calling it the um, PLC crash course. It's not a Ooh. curriculum. It's not a solid, you know, um, semester or anything. It's let's expose them to automation. And so, uh, so the, the first day they learned, uh, industrial control wiring. Uh, they learned about syncing and sourcing inputs and outputs, you know, and really, uh, you know, one thing I'll say is we totally underestimate youth's ability to learn, mm -hmm. you know, because even, you know, I had some, no, no, let me make sure I say this before I do, because this one, this one didn't get ratioed like my next live stream. Um, I had lots of encouragement for this high, high school series where I posted it, um, I guess it was this past Sunday, but to even then, you know, I had some people that are like, that's, you know, that's going to be really difficult with high schoolers. You know, they're, they're a little too young to understand. Yeah. And, and they weren't, I mean, they picked it up and, you know, two hours, two and a half hours today, you know, they, they, they picked up the basics of PLC program. I mean, I would put them up, you know, against, you know, we'll say 50% of the machines that we run up, run into. Mm -hmm. But even then it's, it's not, you know, the goal here is just to, so they see, you know, okay, here's, here's what's actually in these. This is what we're doing. And, you know, one, there's, they have an assignment every evening. Uh, so, so to make it fun and just because I didn't have the content, uh, they have to go find videos of manufacturing processes. And I mainly use J call. I, I was like, okay, go to LinkedIn, 
connect with Jay Call and check out his stuff and find three processes that you're interested in and come back and let's talk about it. And, you know, they, you know, for me, the goal really was for them to be semi-excited, not like, oh gosh, is this guy going to come back again type deal. And they were excited at the end of this class. So I don't know where it's going to end up as far as, you know, uh, success, but that was kind of my goal. So, so that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm going for with that. Uh, it's going to be a really difficult one for, I guess, us, you know, a lot of people love metrics. A lot of people love measure success. Uh, you know, you're, we won't get a pay- payback for these for 10 years, yeah. you know, realistically, you know, and we need to be willing to make that investment. We need to be willing to make an investment into middle schools. Mm-hmm. And we need, you know, now maybe they're not working with PLCs, although I probably could, I'm not ready to jump into that ring yet, but, but they need to be working with their hands and realize that, you know, Hey, with these two hands, I can build so many things, whether it be cutting, you know, stuff, whether it be, you know, welding stuff there again, we, we've got to get them more exposed to, you know, these type of skills. Uh, so that's kind of the long goal of that is to, you know, kind of just kind of plant some seeds in some, some students that, you know, hopefully, end up um you know turning out good for us and uh, tim correct me if i'm if i'm mistaken but the idea is also to bring this curriculum and allow others to kind of implement it at their high school right so you're going to kind of open this up so that others can instead of quote unquote saying that it might be too difficult for them to learn something like this can actually get the curriculum and see that they can actually do it for themselves right Yes. So uh, there's a reason that this is the trial run because yes, I um, am going to be making a course series and it will be, it it won't be for the schools to do. In other words, I'm hearing so many people say, well, the schools aren't doing anything, you know, okay, well go do something for it. Mm -hmm. So I am looking for volunteers that will go to local schools and implement this. And by implement, I mean that you will go and do it. And um, it will, um, it will be free. This <laughs> Amber did, you know, she's like, yeah, you gotta remember, we gotta get a paying job occasionally, but yeah, so this, this is a project for the year. And so, yeah, this free, we will, um, we'll start bringing some on probably in a few months for some trials, but yeah, the goal is to have um, local manufacturers connect with local high schools and, you know, run this program. And this is, I'll say a non-branded program. It needs some modification probably for different brands, but it is designed mainly that you're using real automation equipment. In other words, no, no toys, no simulators, no raspberry pies, no Adrenos, what they are really going to see in the industry. And that, that's really awesome. And I, I really, and I, I really like the fact that you made that last point because I think, you know, kids nowadays are exposed to a lot of those devices that you wouldn't necessarily see in the field. But I think it's difficult to make that leap between, again, your knowledge on the Arduino and that's traditionally programmed in C and then moving on to controls that, again, predominantly, and obviously there's changes and we can have that one hour discussion another time but is primarily still in ladder logic, right? In the US or function blocks or what have you. And so it, it can not be, um, it's, it's not as easy to make that switch from one to the other. So I think it's important to, at the very least, have some exposure 
into industrial automation at that early age. So again, I think it's all about informing them what options there are in terms of careers so that they can make the appropriate choice down the line, which I personally didn't have. So I think it's it's really awesome that you're doing that. Yeah, and you know that's and you're exactly right. The just ex, I'm not trying to force them, but really make the appropriate choice is a great you know is a you know a great way of putting it because you know okay maybe you don't have a passion for automation. Well, whatever you have a passion for, you should be able to go in there and and really you know educate them on it or expose them to. Like I said, you like the word expose more because. You know, I, I mean, anybody that I hope nobody's going to put on their resume that, yeah, hey, I went through Tim's crash course <laughs> in high school. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, but no, so I, I love what you're doing, Tim. Uh, for me, I remember, you know, some of my fondest memories in school was, you know, the first time you get to play with a breadboard and make the LEDs light up, you, you know, the, the first time you wire things and i still can't believe that they don't let us wire you know theoretical houses with, with 120 volt in high school that that in just seems really dangerous oh yeah that seems exceptionally dangerous now that i look back um now that i look back on it i'm surprised people didn't die uh but no so like that that was those like i feel like we have a lot of tech we have a lot of shop style classes one of the things that i like about what you're doing is that kind of takes it to the next level of hey, this is the practical application. These are the things that we can actually do. You can go look at these cool machines that are running and then, hey, this is how we actually make the machines work and we make the machines run. And so I like what you're doing. I I like what you're doing with that. I think that we certainly need more. And to your point, if we we need to start investing now to see some of that payback in, in five to 10 years. And maybe some of those folks will go to engineering school. Maybe some of those folks will go work in facilities in less skilled, less technical jobs, but it'll put them down the path of helping to solve the problem now. Um, there simply isn't a million or even 50,000 skilled troubleshooters who are ready to, to go to work. If you're a skilled troubleshooter, you're almost certainly always going to, you're always going to have uh, job opportunities uh, yeah. one way, one way or the other. So uh, let's talk about a little bit of career advice and and maybe, maybe can we, can we talk about career advice that you probably gave the, the kids earlier today. So if you're in, you know, let's call it high school. Um, so if you're in high school or, or maybe you're getting into college and you think you want to get into manufacturing, like, do, do you have career advice uh, for, for those younger folks? Well, yeah, um, because it was very coincidental today. They were talking about uh, there are internship opportunities that okay. they have to fill out applications for. Um, that, that I don't know when it was, but, you know, look for those opportunities that are out there. I mean, you know, cause really they are, you know, one, if you're, if you're doing a high school internship, uh, you're, you're getting one, you're getting paid. That's, that's the cool part and you're getting credit for it. Uh, so you, you, maybe you work, you go to school for half a day and then you go work and that counts as your other half of the day. So mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty good deal and you're getting great skills on it. Uh, another one, uh, you know, I know it's the old people's network, but connect with people on LinkedIn. Uh, that's, you know, that, no, I'm not saying that, you know, you need to post, the, you know, the same memes and stuff that you might post over on Instagram or TikTok or any of those, but connect with people that have, a, you know, that are in the industry that you're interested in, preferably somebody local to you, because, you know, maybe you can go have a cup of coffee with them, you know, and... Maybe they'll give you a tour of the plant. That's that's one thing that I wish 
and I haven't figured out how. So if anybody has any great ideas, I'd love it. But we need we need to get some plant tours going some for you know people to see. Um, and it needs it needs to be while they're running. I know. I mean, yeah. okay. I know some places are dangerous. I mean, no, you're not going to take a you're not going to take a high school class through a steel mill. I get that. But um, but there are a lot of places that you could expose you know high schoolers to. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, so that that would be my two big ones there. Tim, I want to ask you a question on the technical side, Dave, if you don't mind. So, you know, looking back at, um, you know, what we've talked thus far, that it's very important, obviously, to think of people that are going to be maintaining your machines. Do you see any, again, like technologies that will pave the way, so to speak? What are, again, you know, there's a lot of like buzzwords, you know, there's AI, VR, there's a lot of different things that we talk about, but... Are there any key things that you really see applicable at the plant level that will, I would say, help people maintain machinery better and are, uh, I would say, again, cost effective for what they are? You know, uh, I, I am the Debbie Downer on this one. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, that's why I we love to get different thoughts. Yeah. things out there and I don't see them working well. I think better written programs by the programmers that are designed to be troubleshot is what's going to make it easier, at least as of today. I know we've got preventive maintenance and we've got all these cool things, but in the end, the problem is still going to be that sensor on the end of the line that's just getting rubbed slightly for the last three months because it's out of position. And you're still going to have to go into the program, figure out which input it is, figure out where the world that wire goes and change that sensor. And I don't see software at least yet doing that. Now I got some cool ideas. If somebody really wants to, and somebody like wants a completely unprofitable project, I think we can do some (laughs) cool things with augmented reality, but it's not, what I've seen is not there yet. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is, is that there is opportunity we're perhaps not there yet. So there, it's not a complete no, it's a, it's a maybe. But yeah. I, I mean, I think that's ultimately, and like me and Dave had, again, like this conversation too, it should be a maybe experimentation phase, but not necessarily switch your entire plan over to this new protocol, this new way of doing things. But I, I think, again... As you pointed out at the beginning, if you can get your people at least exposed a little bit to a couple of things, they can see for themselves if it's worth it or not. And again, if down the road, you know, in certain cases, control systems don't leave us the choice. You know, you kind of just migrate to this new thing or the machine builder only has like one platform and you're kind of stuck with it. Well, at least if you've experimented with it in the past, then you know what you're getting yourself into. But that's... You know, that's just a a thought that I have. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, and you know, now nowhere in there did I say that we we need to put on blinders and not make any changes, but we need to make, yeah, you're right, small changes and see how they work um, and find, you know, and fail a lot. And that's cool. Fail on a small scale, though. Don't don't put this whole line in and then be stuck with it. Uh, You know, (laughs) I I, I get I skipped over this part earlier, but yeah, the. uh, you know, I, I do I do always stay a step behind the cutting edge of technology for a very good reason. Uh, my my dad 
was absolutely in love with whatever the latest and greatest technology was. And if we were building a machine, it was going to have the latest and greatest technology. And I got my rear handed to me by the latest and greatest technology. And I learned right then, it's like, man, no, we don't always need, we don't always need that. And we were, you know, and the thing was, we were so far out there that we, we had no room to adjust to, you know, fix it. It was like, okay, we got to rip this out and, um, and just start over, <laughs> you know, so make those small changes and figure out what, you know, what is going to work and, and okay. Yeah. You like that direction. Keep going. It. If you don't like the direction, find a different direction. So yeah. I, I like that, Tim. And I actually want to go back to to one of your previous points uh, talking about like the evolution of controls um, maybe we should talk about the evolution of code, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the one of the things that I have been certainly thinking about, maybe talking about for for a number of years, is the fact that much of the code that we have living on PLCs, such as the ones behind both of you, is basically replications of the timers and relays that lived on you know pieces of plywood for decades before that. And when the first people came in, they wrote them in ladder logic. And they, they, I guess in my imagination, they basically just copied whatever they saw on the rungs on the pieces of plywood into the, into the PLCs. And we haven't really considered what, what that looks like very much in the 20 or 30 years since then. I've done a couple of projects where you kind of go in and, and you take a look and maybe you ask yourself, why is this you know timer at five seconds or 10 seconds? And a lot of the times it may come back to the person that did it 50 years ago, had a five second timer or had a 10 second timer. And you can go and you can go and reduce cycle time, right? You, you can write better code. Can you extrapolate a little bit more on your, maybe your thoughts of writing better code? Well, Dave, if you ever come to our training, you will not make it out of here alive if you think that those symbol looking shapes in that ladder diagram are normally open, normally closed and coils and stuff like that. So that's one of the first things we do break you up, you know, and and I'll go ahead and hit it. I know Vlad dodged it or kind of skipped over it earlier is, yeah, you know, is, should we be programming a ladder logic? That's, that's probably the number one comment I get. Um, Well, that's not a hater comment. It's still a constructive (laughs) comment. Um, And, you know, it's interesting is I actually got in, when I got in this industry, I, you know, the, the company that dad was working with, their big thing was they, they were here to replace the PLC. It was the next generation. I think we've heard that quite a bit even today. Same thing. It was 1998, 99, 1999. And yeah, we, you know, it's going to, this is going to replace the PLC. And here we are, what, 20 some years later. Yep. This is going to replace the PLC. And here, here's my argument with everybody that's like, oh, you, you shouldn't be teaching ladder logic, is if all the automation companies got together today and said, we're banning ladder logic from all of our controllers that are shipped from today on, then the majority of the equipment you got to work on is still ladder logic for the next 20 years. <laughs> you know, so what I see, what I think more there, Dave, is, and I mean, I'm guilty of it. I've got to get a machine running. I need to get it signed off of so I can get paid. Mm-hmm. And that five second timer fixed my little quirk and mm-hmm. I can get my final payment. 
and nobody ever goes back and really looks. Well, yeah, what can we do to, you know, shave that off? What, why was that timer needed? Oh, well, Tim forgot to put a sensor here. Instead of adding <laughs> a $300 sensor, he decided to put a five-second timer in there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, with a $300 sensor, maybe we can, we can shave, you know, Five percent off of our time, and that's that's a big dollar statement. So I don't, you know, and then going back to the need for evolution, I guess not revolution. Is we we should go back and look at these machines. And you know what that plan I was working at was built in '68. That's one of the biggest things we did. Is you know you, you got you got a hydraulic cylinder coming down twelve inches, coming mm-hmm. back up. Well, it only needed to move a half inch. I'm like, you know, if we added a switch for that just to retract and just bump mm-hmm. that thing, yep. you know, we. You know, you're you're a miracle worker. It's like, man, we never thought about you know short striking a cylinder before. You know, but those those are the improvements that we need to look at. And that's also a way to you know get people into automation. Oh no, we we don't need any PLCs. Well, you know, if we did this, you know, you're going to spend a few thousand dollars, and you know we're you know we're we're gonna you're gonna make it back in two months. Well, that mm-hmm. now you now you got now you got them where they're going to look at it, but. But yeah, I don't usually get, in fact, this may be the only time I've addressed the whole ladder logic thing. So hopefully it doesn't go very far. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> even, even if you think it is old and dated, if you're going to have people going out and working on machines, they need to know the old and dated. They need to know how relay logic works. Like, I mean, really relay logic, Dave, not, not the ladder logic. But I mean, that's, that's part of what they're going to run into. I mean, I w- so, you know, like the, the point I made is that it still is the dominant language, number one, right, in, in the world for PLC programming. And I think it's very well adopted to process and instrumentation and controls. What I think, you know, we ran into as a, as a challenge is that now a lot of plants want to do all these projects that are traditionally not really controls-based but they are still written inside PLCs and that becomes complicated, right? So doing, for example, recipe management, recipe management is done at every single plant and it can be done on the PLC level in ladder logic. And I've, I've worked on those projects and troubleshot that code, but I think it becomes very complex when you're trying to do non-controlling process applications inside of PLCs. And the same could be said about many different things, right? Like when you're processing data, like ladder logic is not very well adapted it can be done right like don't get me wrong it's very powerful it has all the instructions you'd find because at the end of the day your computer or again your microcontroller inside of your plc still translates it into binary code so it can be done but i think it's not the best use in those you know maybe higher level applications but for controls it's absolutely i think brilliant because it's very easy to visualize it's very easy to learn it's very easy to like debug and, and understand what's going on. So, yeah, well, and you know, I, and I, uh, I upset a lot of the ladder logic people co- that come here because one, we do learn function block and structured text during mm-hmm. the week. And yep. um, I tell them function, um, structured text, it's the most efficient way to program. And flat out, hands down. Now, I didn't say anywhere either about troubleshooting. And that's the thing, you know, what most of your PLCs, I, you know, and I know this is a very broad statement, most of them have multiple languages. It's it's not for yep. preference. Yep. A lot of times it is because, okay, when I'm doing this, this is the best way. But yeah, I can do this over here and that's going to, you know, that's going to be better. 
Or yeah, you know, if we're developing, especially, you know, code, you know, tying things together, uh, you know, I, no, I'm not writing in ladder logic. I'll admit I wouldn't, you know, so, so yeah, that we need, we need, but we need to learn them all. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, but again, I, my viewpoint is of a technician. My viewpoint is not of engineering or new equipment. And so that, that kind of is where that, you know, that friction comes from. Yeah. But the, the right tool for the job, I think, is ultimately, and going back to your point on having the knowledge of, uh, you know, good programming, I would say, practices rather than just understanding, um, again, a language. It's understanding how software is built that is, like, very mm -hmm. important, which I think there's also not a lot of in our industry, right? Because um, they don't traditionally teach good software skills like you do again for like Python or C++ or what have you that have a much greater population of people. But we, I feel like we don't have that in the industrial no. space. So and, it, and that part's difficult because one, I mean, how often do we build the same machine? I mean, okay, some people do build cookies. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's so much variability and. Then, then, then actually, here's where evolution can backfire. There's so much evolution of, hey, we started, this is our program, and somebody said, hey, could we make it do this? And you add it on. Oh, can we make it do this? And we add it on. We make it do this, and we add it on. And then they're like, hey, we don't need that anymore. So we stick an AFI in there because we may need it again. Yep. And now we got, you know, <laughs> we got a corner of our program doesn't do anything. <laughs> So, you know, then classic, that's a, classic that's yes. problem. And, you know, I don't know where that really, um, who, who bears the responsibility of that? Because, yeah, that, that's kind of a legacy, more of a legacy issue. It's definitely not a new equipment issue. Yeah. Although I see some new equipment, some really interesting code. <laughs> I've, I've seen plenty of it. Yeah. But no, yeah, let's absolutely. Uh, move on to some more positive notes. I'm curious, you know, what the... <laughs> I thought this was very positive. We, we, we had yeah. a conversation about ladder logic. And and shouted. All, I'm not seeing all, the chat. I don't know how bad it is, but I mean... All of us are still here. We, we had a conversation about ladder logic and all of us are still here. No, I, I think that that is... I, I think all, all of that is very valuable. And, and I like Tim's concept of, of evolution. Um, and, and as we talk about evolution, kind of all of the things uh, that, that we can evolve with. Um, and Tim, as I promised you, and as every show goes, we are now at about 70 minutes of our 60-minute podcast. And we're, we're going to move into a couple of uh, last questions and uh, and let you get on with the uh, the rest of your evening. Um, so you, you gave us some, uh, some fantastic uh, career advice. Um, with that, I, I think that that is good. Uh, thank you very much. Um, do you have a book or maybe a couple of book recommendations? Let's see. Um, one of my one of my go tos still, and it was it was the first book I bought when I started the company was uh, Duct Tape Marketing, and that is a book about you know one. It's a book obviously about you know marketing on a budget, which is important. Mm -hmm. But you know yeah. what I like about that book is it is about building relationships. You know, you're not pounding money trying to get, you know, trying to get, uh, trying to get our, you know, Vlad and I both on it, that, that silver play button back there. I guess <laughs> you cleared it off, but you're not trying to do that. You're trying to make those connections to build, you know, a loyal customer that's going to keep coming back and keep coming back. And so that's a really good one. Um, engagement to a engagement to burnout is one by Asad Manzor and 
I think that one's going to unfortunately be more important to our industry probably this year because, um, well, our industry is always high stress, but we're also a way too high demand right now. And I think, and and honestly, I don't know how to solve this. And I know some people are working on it. Feel free to reach out to me is we got to figure out how to keep a lot of, a lot of us from burning out and just how to back, you know, we, we, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, type A, but we got to back down sometimes. We got to figure out where that point is. And so that's something. Um, and the great demo. And that's one about really, you know, it's it was it was written for selling software, but I think it works well for for and Vlad here again. I'm gonna give you one I'm gonna give you a secret here. Um, I think it works great for selling software, selling equipment, and making YouTube videos. You know, so it, it's a really good one that I think if people would use would take a lot of these um, acronyms out and really show the customer the value that they're going to get and probably one sell, sell a lot more and we won't need all that cloudiness. What's the title of the third one? Sorry, Tim. I Great I demo. Wondering. Great demo. Awesome. No, I, 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 I noticed Vlad, Vlad decided to do that when I said it was a good for you too. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. So, so I, I like to joke, Tim, that, that Vlad immediately, while like in show, it has just bought all three of those on, on Audible. This is our hashtag not sponsored uh, Audible segment. Um, but uh, but no, so I, I think all of those are very interesting. And, and I agree to your point that we have to do a better job uh, to help prevent burnout. I think that that's certainly the, something that many of us uh, feel in industry. Uh, yeah, I think that's something that many of us feel in industry. I don't think it's going to get better because I don't think that there's going to be, you know, a lack of we're, we're not suddenly going to hit the summer and everyone's going to be like, we decided to all take the summer off as an industry. Um, but we, everyone, everyone have fun. But we need yes, to. I mean, we, we do. Know, that's one thing Amber and I, and it's really difficult to do. It started out early on in the company, you know, probably most automation cycles, December is a horrible month. You know, nobody, nobody wants to do any projects in December. Nobody wants to think about it. Now they're out of money, you know, and I'd sit there and worry and worry and worry. Oh my goodness. I don't know if we're going to, I don't know if we're going to make groceries next week or make groceries. <laughs> yeah. We got to go out in the farm and pull, <laughs> steal something from some farmer. Because we have no but all of a sudden, you know, it was busy all the time. I'm like, man, I really miss Down that up. December. Yep. And so that's one thing we do, man. December comes and we hammer the brakes as hard as we can, you know, and you know, people are like, Hey, can you get this done really fast? Like, nah, can't, I can't, I can't do it. Um, we're, we're busy with an imaginary customer right now. So, and we've, yeah. we've got, we've got to do that. We've got to have downtime just to kind of defrag our mind. We got to have sleep. None of mm-hmm. us, we're all sleep deprived. And you know that, and I think that is going to get worse in this next year. I think so. So that that is something that we have been working on to, to try to get better at. I say it every year, Tim. Uh, we haven't gotten good at it yet. Now Maybe it's some working out. Oh, fantastic! Uh, I, I some days I even find time to write in it. Uh, but uh, but 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 no, I think that that's something that that we all need to get better in, and that that is certainly like at the the top of the priority list is try not try to be better this year. Cause I'm not sure it's ever going to be good, but try to get incrementally better this year and, uh, and say, no, yeah, I've got a list of things I got to do when we get off this, but learn to say, no, that is the, that is on the, the goals uh, of this year, but no. Um, 
So I, I think this is fantastic. We absolutely will, will have to follow up uh, kind of on these topics and more uh, yeah. shortly. But if people have not figured out, uh, you know, who, who should reach out to you? Where, where should they find you? Go ahead and pimp your YouTube channel. Kind of do all these things for us, Tim. Well, no, I don't, I don't even think there I need to, you know, if, and when you're, I think you should already have watched videos either on um, Vlad's channel, my channel, or any other YouTube channel and got familiar with it and realized, hey, I think I need a little more training that I can get online. And then, then yeah, give me a holler. But yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's no, Vlad, Vlad puts out great videos. I'm going to talk to him hopefully about doing some collaboration soon. And yeah, but you know, we're all in this together. There's, there's tons of work out there. We, we need, yeah. we need more, we need more warm, bo warm bodies, need more Absolutely. engineers, need more technicians, you know, and just in general, the skilled trades. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate Absolutely. that, Tim. And there have been a couple of questions in the chat. I didn't uh, read any of them because they were quite specific, but people were asking you about, you know, PacML and what you thought about the different education and training models. So uh, if you want to reach out to Tim, I would assume that LinkedIn would probably be the best place yep. uh, to do That'd that great. awesome okay mm -hmm. sounds good so i direct anyone who has posted a question on uh, youtube and or linkedin to reach out to tim directly but really appreciate uh, the time tim i think it was really interesting to see you know a different perspective and I, again i think we don't put enough emphasis on the again the long-term uh, productivity of the machine from you know the maintenance standpoint technical again engineering what have you so i, I think it's a really good uh, perspective and i appreciate that tim i Absolutely. appreciate you'll have me on yeah. uh thank you tim thank you vlad everyone if you're still with us thank you it's been episode 44 of the manufacturing hub podcast with me dave and this guy up here vlad um if you have not already like please give us five stars on apple Podcasts, and apparently you can do it on spotify uh give us a thumbs up on the video follow us on linkedin and, and all of those other places uh tune into our live shows clock for an hour ish um, every wednesday night and you guys can catch the uh, the new podcast on thursday uh late morning and, and thank you amber thank you tim and amber again thank you everyone all thank right. you everyone talk to you soon.